I don't want you to be in lack. I want you to be in longing because when I was in my single phase and I was like, I'm okay without a partner. Like I'm happy on my own. That was bullshit. It wasn't really true. And I did want a partner, but I thought it was weak of me to own that. I'm like, well, no, it's both. And I am happy in my life. I love my life. I love myself and I long for a partner and allowing ourselves to have that desire. It's part of the broadcast signal. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Uh, it's been a hot minute since I've had someone on the show that is a personal friend. Of course, mm-hmm. I love having people on the show that have written a really cool book or they own a sex toy company or they're an STD, STI professional giving information, but there's nothing like, I mean, even on the recording front, like there's nothing like sitting across from someone like, oh, I love seeing your face. I get to see you regularly. I know some of your story. And, uh, and today I'm really excited to present all of you that sex chick listeners with another dear friend of mine, a now Austinite, which is a fun thing to say, Miss Christine Hassler. Welcome onto the show. Thank you so much. It's so fun to be here with you. Mm, So, you know, I know online, there's a lot of people that have been following you for a long time for a variety of reasons. And you're uh, space and personal development and speaking and all that. And you first popped up on my radar at, you know, a Mind Valley event. And I can't remember if it was just through that community that was the first time that I'd seen your face. And then really the first time I uh, made a, a connection and really paid attention was when someone who I met as an attendee at a Mind Valley event, a fest, Steph, who is now your husband, I saw, <laughs> oh my gosh, they're dating. And then very shortly after that, they're getting married. And then pretty shortly after that, oh my God, they're moving to Austin. So, um, which I think is a really special trajectory and, uh, and definitely the community here is you two are such an incredible value add, um, you know, to our lives. And then of course the community too. So I would love, love, love if you could share a little bit about you and your story, how long you've been in the biz And then eventually we're going to hang out in the realms of relationships, because I know that's really uh, what you and hubs staff Mm -hmm. have been leaning into quite a bit over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gosh, the story, it gets longer. I'm like, oh my gosh, the older I get, the longer my story gets and the less interested I get in the beginning of it. So (laughs) I'll kind of skip that part, but I've been a coach since 2004 I started in my little twenties. I was just a little 20 something thinking I knew so much. Um, but I had a great, I had a great supervisor, great trainer. And when people, when I told people I was a coach, they would say, what sport? (laughs) Because life coaching wasn't what it is today. And people didn't, they're like, it's like a therapist. Well, kind of. So I started off as a coach 2004 and I wrote a book that came out in 2005 called 20 something, 20 everything. Because my twenties by 25, I had left a really successful career in Hollywood. I got dumped by my boyfriend, disowned from my family, had all these health problems and was in debt. And so I had my quarter life crisis and was like, oh my gosh, the twenties are hard. There's so much we're supposed to figure out. There's so much we're supposed to know. There's so much pressure and there's no book to help with personal development in your twenties. There were books on how to get the career, how to get the guy, how to get the outside things. I'm like, I did that. And it didn't, it wasn't my recipe for happiness. It didn't feel the gaping void inside of me. It didn't make me want to come off the antidepressants I had been on since age 11. And so I was like, well, I guess I need to write the personal development book for women in their twenties. And I wrote that book and that really was my launching pad. I struck a chord with something. I really tapped into something that women were feeling collectively, especially that generation kind of sandwiched. Like our mothers were sort of the feminists, And we weren't, we were like the beginning of the millennials, but not quite there. So it was like this weird time. And that book actually still sells really well because I think the twenties haven't gotten any easier for, for any of any generation, but that really was my, my springboard. And I didn't plan to do anything that I'm doing now. It just kind of happened. It just followed my own life. My own life has been my inspiration not that I live this incredibly inspiring life. It's more the challenges that I've faced and endured have been my, my muse 
in so many ways. It's like, okay, I don't want to teach anything I haven't been through. And so every book I've written and I've written three so far, every course I've taught, every speech I've given has all been from my own personal experience. Like, okay, I've, I've been down this road and I want to help people navigate it. Um, and, you know, I went back to school and got my master's degree in spiritual psychology because I really wanted to help people with their past, not just their present and future as a coach and just built from there, built a speaking business, have a coaching institute now, teach programs, met my husband. That's a more interesting story. And I just love, you know, the things that I used to play most as a kid. And I think we have so many clues in what we used to gravitate toward in our childhood in terms of what not what our purpose is. Cause I don't believe our purpose is a career. I believe our purpose is to evolve our consciousness and remember we are whole and worthy and complete and really embody love and pleasure and joy as much as we can and service, but our, our careers or how we, you know, want to express ourselves in the world. That's just how like this personality, this soul wants to shine in this lifetime, right? It's the fun stuff we get to do. And I think there's so many clues in our childhood. So my two favorite things to play as a kid were teacher and bank. And now I'm an entrepreneur <laughs> who teaches. You know, and I love that. I love, like more than giving advice, I love teaching people how to free themselves. Mm-hmm. I love teaching people how to connect with their inner child and give themselves the parenting they never got. I love teaching them how to call in their biggest dreams, teaching them how to manage and deal with their emotions. It's just my joy. And like I said, I've been doing this since 2004 and I'm not bored. <laughs> it just keeps getting more fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And I, I was actually just in a conversation earlier today where I was describing just the the feeling of being a coach and having the experiences with clients and just watching things move in mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. beautiful way online and in life and with business and all these things. And um and, and the joke that, you know, my OM, I think that, you know, um, Bryn as well, yep. where I'm like, we'll do something. We'll host a call or I'll look at her and I'll go, this is our fucking jobs. <laughs> like, this is our job. And we'll just start saying like really silly things about it. Cause you know, like we, we teach people about orgasms and how to navigate re- certain relationship dynamics and um, kink and tantra. Like we teach all kinds of cool things and we'll look at each other and like, this is our job. And I'll try and in those moments, encourage her and encourage myself as well to breathe it in. And while this feels like this, this potent, like this specialness, I want to mm-hmm. take that in and feel it to its fullest. Cause there's no guarantee that I'm going to feel this in love with what I'm doing, you know, in 15, 20 years, yeah. maybe who knows if I'm even going to be doing it. It feels like such a part of who I am right now, but will that always be the case? So, you know, on the entrepreneurial front, I attempt at times to slow my role and just go really breathe in and feel what you have created and what you are able to do for people and for yourself. And it's really fucking special. It is. It really is. And I I don't think you'll be bored or doing something else in 15 years. You'll just evolve what you're doing, you know, cause you've really stepped into your dharma. Oh, I love, and I love that word too. Um, yeah, I surely hope that the dynamics around sex and sex itself, um, confuse me and enamor me for my entire life. Yeah. yeah. I think they do most people <laughs> You just actually don't brush it under the rug <laughs> and deal with it and talk about it, which we need, we need more people, especially women making sex not just not taboo, but like understandable. I think women, we carry so much shame and so much suppression Mm -hmm. about our bodies that, you know, I'm I'm even thinking of like watching um, like tampon and pad commercials as a young girl and having them pour blue liquid on the pad. And I'm like, why is it blue? (laughs) That makes no sense. Cause God forbid you show actual red, you know, and it just, this this shame starts so early about our bodies and our sexuality. So I just love what you do. And it's just so, so needed because I know as a woman, I I had to get help with my sexuality. It it didn't come naturally to me. You know, I, I mean, certain basic things did, but even basic anatomy, I had to learn. And I had to learn, like, wait, there are different places you can have an orgasm? Oh, this is news to me, you know? And I had to work with, with somatic healers and even some sexual healers to help me 
one, release some abuse and release some pain that I carried there, but also really just be like, oh, wow, this is a whole energetic. This is a whole side of me that was never nurtured and was never talked about and was never encouraged. Maybe there was like encouragement to look a certain way, but not to be sensual and sexual. That was dangerous. That was like, don't do that. You'll get hurt. You know, something bad will happen. So I just, I love you and I love what you do. And thank you for making this so accessible to us. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was, this is me, like you just mentioned, bumping around into shit in my twenties and thinking that the high school sweetheart uh, relationship was going to take me the distance. And when that fell apart, I got whacked into the, in the chest and across face and all that with my first bouts of really intense anxiety. And then that uh, started my journey of, I would say, managing and, and creating a relationship with that. Cause it, even the, with the most growth that I've done, it hasn't really left me, I would say. Yeah. And uh, of course I don't have panic attacks like I used to in my twenties, in my early twenties. Uh, but I can still feel that if I allowed it, it's just like, it's a one in, an, you know, one inch to a foot away yeah. at times. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, bumping into things and figuring it out and, you know, getting face to face is like, oh, this is what adulting is. And I thought I couldn't wait to be an adult because being a teenager is just so much torture. <laughs> Little did I know it was right around the corner. And when that fell apart, I didn't know who I was because all of my identity really growing up and as a teenager was based around this relationship and how I was going to do so much of my life differently than my mother did, right. um, who had been married four times. And then towards the end of my high school career, call it a career, uh, she married a fifth time. And she's even been on the show and we've spoken about this, which is big, big um, strides in our relationship and, and her um, communication around it all too, because we're South small town, Louisiana. Wow. And we just don't talk yeah. about these things. No, no. You, know, you, just, so. no. you just say bless her heart. And oh yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah. Like, oh, cute. So, um, you know, and then navigating, what is my life? What do I actually want it to look like and be like? And that's very confronting after the, the potential American dream with the picket fence and the small town and the, the career enough, long enough to be satiated so that I can become a mother and all that. When that went away, it was like, who the fuck am I? And what am I doing? And, um, and yeah, like that, that is a super confronting and challenging thing to go through. And like you said, the quarter life, uh, crisis of sorts. And then what type of relationship do I want to have? Uh, you know, and for me, I only understood it could look and feel and be one way. And I always understood, you know, whether it be a direct statement or not, but my body is my worth and how pure I was or how I dressed sexy or didn't dress sexy. It was like it needed to be somewhere in the middle and that I needed to act a certain way, just coy enough, but still straightforward, but still modest. Like there's just so much conflicting pieces of information. And then on the brink of thirties was just like, I'm going to burn all this to the ground and figure this the fuck out. And a lot of what I do now is based on that. And it's just simply wanting to have so many more conversations. Like, look, y'all, I, uh, along with all of you in some way, shape or form, we're given a message that you've realized we have realized collectively as we've all gotten older, that this is not the absolute truth. What we were told and what we were taught, whether that by be by faith or family culture area of, uh, where you're growing up, that kind of thing. Like it, it's, it's not the absolute truth. And so what do you want it to look like? What do you want that relationship to feel like and look like? What do you want that sex to feel like and look like? And let's get real with ourselves in the form of community and talk about it. And then let's go get it and realize that when you go get it, you might change your mind again. And then you mm -hmm. get permission to change your mind again and again and again. So I would, yep. I would mm -hmm. love, love, love to hear about the couple of few times that you changed your mind. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a couple of times where like someone else changed their mind and that changed my life. Right. Like I mentioned the fiance that broke up with me. Um, it was like six or seven months before our wedding. Best thing ever. Like such a save. I think about marrying that guy and he's not a bad guy, but oh, so not my guy. <laughs> so, so not. So that wasn't a choice that was made. That was a choice I made, but the choices I made in response to that were really powerful because what I realized in my quarter life crisis was I had a choice between being a victim or blaming everyone else 
thinking that just life just doesn't work for me. Um, or realizing I'm the common denominator in all these situations. So how do I, like, how do I see that I'm the common denominator, but not blame myself? Because that's the trick. Like we have to take responsibility, but not self-blame. And that really was the, the gateway into personal development for me because therapy wasn't working. I just wasn't getting anywhere. I was just doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. We all know that's insanity. And that really was how I got into what I'm into now. And so that was a really, really powerful choice. And some choices I had to make within that is I had to choose to piss some people off, especially my mother. Mm. And I think a lot of women, um, you know, I actually just interviewed someone on my podcast on the mother wound, which Mm. is like huge for all people, especially mother, daughter. And I had a very close relationship with my mom, probably too close in a lot of ways. And I think when we have a close relationship with our mom, just by default, we take on a lot of her beliefs, like how she relates to men, how she moves her body in the world, how she expresses her femininity. I think we can model that unconsciously. We can say, I want to be nothing like you. And then we look in the mirror, we see ourselves say something or do something and go, holy shit. Right. <laughs> oh my God, this is my mother. What just happened? For sure. So I had to choose me over pleasing other people. And that was a really frightening choice because I really cared and I'm way better at it now. Um, it still gets to me sometimes, but I, 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 I can say, I don't care really what people think of me. That's not completely hundred percent true hundred percent of the time, but compared to how I used to be, oh my gosh, I would let what people thought of me run my decisions, run my life, cause me anxiety, all that kind of stuff. I derived my, so much of my value from what I could achieve and the feedback I got from others. So that was a huge choice for me. And I'm choosing me, my boundaries, my beliefs, my values over what people think. And there was even a period of time. I made one choice where my mom didn't speak to me for eight months which was, you know, devastating at the time, but in all in all better for our relationship because we needed to hash some things out. There needed to be boundaries there. And, you know, I, I know that there's a, probably a lot of people listening that identify with being a people pleaser. It's very common, especially among women. And we know we shouldn't, but we still do it. And what I say to people pleasers, because this is a wake up call when I say this to people pleasers, which is people pleasing is actually selfish. It's one of the most selfish behaviors and people pleasers go, no, it's not. I'm making everybody else happy except me. Like actually you're, you're people pleasing for you. You're people pleasing because you want people to like you. You don't want confrontation. You don't want to upset people. You want to be good in everybody else's eyes. So it's really about you. You think it's about them, but it's really about you. And when people get that, when people pleasers get that, they're like, oh my gosh, this, this isn't this, this like amazing angelic behavior. This is actually kind of Mm self-serving. And so I encourage everybody listening to start making that powerful choice of like, let your, let yourself upset people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let yourself piss people off. Now this isn't a permission slip to be an asshole and just go around and tell people what you think of them and, you know, not take any responsibility for things, but self-betrayal is one of the biggest ways we can abuse ourselves. And when we, say yes when we mean no, when we make promises that we really don't want to keep, when we sacrifice our own values and desires, or even time or energy to make somebody else happy, that's a form of self-betrayal. And that is not an empowering choice to make. So that's been a huge, huge lesson for me is to make that choice. Mm, For sure. And one that I've had to learn, a lesson I've had to learn a a time or two is to let people take take responsibility for their own emotions. Yep. Not assuming or expecting and yep. and not trying to save people from, you know, how they might react or respond to what my decision has been. That's been a big one, too. It's like I'm going to trust the people around me to manage and handle themselves. And if they have a meltdown, it's not for me to manage. Nope. It's not your fault either. Mm-hmm. And it's not my fault. And huh, that's a very, everything that you just described, very multi-layered. And I would say like, if you were to go down the path of like, I'm going to unravel my people pleasing. So just be buckled in for a minute because yeah. it shows its head. It's like, Oh, you know what? I didn't do it overtly here, 
Right. But you did it covertly there and right. you did it like under like, like a little sneaky sneak people please. And then after right. you just like, kind of like scratch the edge and like, Oh, that felt good. Like right. nobody even noticed. And you know, but you, then, you compromise. You're like, well, I can like go a little bit on my side this way and a little bit on this, their side this way. And then they won't be mad. And that's, that's okay with me. And I'm like, no, don't, right. don't compromise. It's, it's right. still, you're still sacrificing. <laughs> like you can tell for yourself sure. you're compromising, but for sure. that's not your thing. Jordan and I we're consistently, okay. We, we, uh, you know, we work with Annie Lala. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Annie Lala, but Mm -hmm. we, we talk about the one, either one of us, one of us is, um, collapsing and the other one is coercing, um, in almost every conflict, Mm -hmm. you know, grumble situation. Mm -hmm. That's like not our happy go lucky selves. There's usually some person who is collapsing and some person who's coercing. Um, could you guess who's collapsing and who's coercing typically? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a shot in the dark. <laughs> no, that's, that's Jordan. He's very like, I just, I want to please, I want to mm-hmm. please. And my work is, I don't want you to abandon your beliefs, your boundaries, what you desire, because you're afraid of my big energy. Yeah. And so don't let me manipulate a situation And so I'll be in the middle of manipulating a situation, whether that be with my words, my language, you know, physical something, and I will be in the middle of it and I will go, don't let me do this. (laughs) It's a flip for Steph and I, I'm Jordan in that situation. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Totally. He's, he's got the big fiery Greek Italian energy. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And both. And the thing is, I think in the moment when we're in like the tiff of sorts, there's this perception, at least I have this perception that because I'm the one that has the big fiery directive kind of energy like that, that I am the most at fault. I am the most wrong. I am the one that is taking the, I'm, I'm getting the most attention. And I have this story sometimes that that because he goes a little bit softer, that that means I'm mean and angry and I'm the one that's ultimately wrong. And he is the one that is this, this poor creature. Look what I do to him. When in reality, we are both equal parts at fault for the thing. And so this, the, the idea of um, collaborating versus compromising, we do really well when we say it, when we name it in the, in the midst of maybe some kind of challenging thing in our relationship where it's like, how do we collaborate on this instead of either one of us just having to totally compromise everything that we really truly want and desire and not even just what we want and desire, but, um, compromising on the things that we really don't want to happen because yeah. sometimes that's really challenging too. Cause then in my head I'll go, fuck, I knew this was going to happen. And then I'm resentful. So yeah, it's the world. Oh, yes. I've been so. down that road many times and th- those kind of fights that are awful and you get nowhere are so good because it's, it's, it's like a really bad dress rehearsal where you forget your lines, you fall, you're totally off key. And you're like, okay, great. Let's, that was a train wreck. Let's learn from that. And that's one commitment Steph and I have in our marriage is when we have an argument, like afterwards, when we're both like on the other side of it, we break it down and we really go, what do we learn from this? So we're not looping. I mean, we definitely have some patterns that we loop in. I think all couples do. And like, you know, you're in it and you're like, oh, fuck, we're in this again. Jesus, aren't we ever going to grow out of this? Uh, but we really have evolved our arguments and our arguments today, we've been together a little over three years, are so different than the arguments we had, you know, when, in the first six months we were together, or even last year at this time. And that's the thing that I love about understanding conflict and understanding conflict and relationship a healthy relationship isn't void of conflict. It's actually not a great sign if you've never argued with your partner. A healthy relationship, and this is, I'm sure you're familiar with John Gottman's work, it's all about how quickly you repair. Mm-hmm. And not repair by one person pleasing <laughs> and one person getting their way or not repairing by, let's just like have a bottle of wine and forget about it, but repairing, how did we actually learn from this? What do you need? What do I need? How did you feel? How do I feel? What do we learn from this? How do we move forward? What are agreements we want to make? And that kind of repair makes you so much stronger. And the other cool thing is that you're working on your own inner child wounding too, because most arguments in relationship, they're not about present day things anyway. 
It, it's the wounding we've carried from childhood, from past relationships, whatever. It, and it gives us an incredible opportunity to not only be closer in the relationship, but also work on stuff that we've been carrying around for years. And that's a really cool thing about relationships is they provide this amazing container to get to stuff that often you can't get to if you don't have that mirror, if you don't have that trigger. I mean, I remember when I was calling in staff when I was single, I was so bored. I had not, there was no stone I hadn't unturned in terms of my personal development. I'm like, there's nothing I can't dig around. I'm going to reach the core of the earth if I dig around any further. Like there's nothing more to do here. I'm not saying I was like walking on water, but I just wasn't having any triggers really. And then I met Steph. (laughs) I was like, have I learned anything? Have I ever done any personal development ever? And it was so humbling. Because when we got together, we were so like spiritually personal development arrogant because we were both coaches and we'd done all these things. And (laughs) we just thought we'd have these like conscious communication conversations and it would be great. And for the first three months, it was like that. And then boom, (laughs) like the honeymoon phase wore off and all our shit came up. And, you know, if anyone saw a video of us fighting, they would think we were the most unconscious people that they had ever met. But that was, that all needed to happen, right? And without each other, without the container of that relationship, that stuff never would have come up. So that's what makes, that's one of the many things that makes relationships so juicy. For sure. Juicy. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. use some other adjectives too. (laughs) But juicy is certainly one of them. Yeah. Uh, I definitely get, I have moments of turn on where I'm like, look how, look how fast we got through that. Yeah. Oh, it's a huge turn on. Take your clothes off. Yeah. When he owns his shit, I'm like, I need to have you right now. Yeah, absolutely. Owning. Oh my God. (laughs) For real. If I've got, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes and I want a quick release, you know, the kind, I know the exact toy that'll do the trick, or I know the exact friction and rhythm to deliver with my hands in order to do it too. But if I want to slow things way down for a totally different experience, When I'm not in a rush, when I can spend some true quality time with myself, there's some very specific accessories that I like to grab. Sometimes I blindfold myself or I dim the lights really low. Sometimes I use a feather up and down my arms while vibey music plays in the background. Sometimes I get as much of my body involved as I possibly can. I run my hands through my hair, down my face, and I let my fingers dance all over the surface of my skin. I put pressure on my inner thighs. I take my sweet time seducing myself before ever touching my genitals. And when I'm properly warmed up and efficiently lubed up, one of my favorite new bedroom accessories to reach for is the Oh My C from Ioba. I'm not sure what mechanism is in this thing, but the toy has a little nub that rotates at different speeds, so it mimics the sensation of being orally stimulated. It's nice, it's light, and it's quiet. Sometimes the sounds of my toys can actually take me out of my experience. So a softer, quieter toy is incredibly appreciated. I make sure to take deep breaths as I let the pleasure and sensation build, breathing it throughout my body. And when the time is just right, I pick up the speed of the rotation and I ride a full body wave of ecstasy. This is one of many acts of devotion I choose to regularly deliver to myself. And it's not about what my partner can or cannot give to me. It's about taking time to be with myself in my pleasure, doing anything and everything that feels good for me. If you're looking for a quiet, high quality, beginner friendly, super cute vibe that doesn't actually vibe too hard, my personal recommendation is the Oh My See from Ioba. See the show notes for details and a discount. So you mentioned something about the time frame that you went, um, the period that you went through where you were single. So I mm-hmm. am curious because I don't actually really know this story. I mean, I know it just like a quick, like, yeah, you went through about a decade of single, right? Uh, eight years. yeah, Eight years. Right. And, and there was a lot of soul searching that happened there. And I have so much, which I was telling you before that we, you know, press record and we were talking about, you know, what we were going to discuss on the show. And I said, well, a vast majority of my listeners are women. And, um, if, if my listeners for the podcast mirror, what my statistics and analytics are for my Instagram, then we're at about, I don't know, somewhere around 75% 
women. And the age range is anywhere from early 20s to mid to late 40s, maybe towards the beginning of the 50s. And so there's people. So just looking at that bucket here for a second Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is there's lots of different women in different places of their life. They're at yeah. that time where we touched on in the beginning where it's like, I don't know what is happening. Um, yeah. Adult, ah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. you know, and then going through, you know, probably the first one or two heartbreaks. I have lots of women that come, you know, they find their way to me because they're post-divorce and, yeah. you know, or they've just gone through, um, whether it be intentionally or not, a time of celibacy or abstinence or something like that. And now they are wanting to date again. And, you know, they just, it's in interesting ways that women wind up finding me. Um, And I find even more interesting ways that the men that are the 25% that are listening Mm -hmm. and following along how they find me too. And continue learning a lot (laughs) to continue. I know if they find their way to me in these conversations and they're paying attention to these, I would say you are in good shape. So anyway, uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious. Let's crack open that that time frame. You know, what was uh what really inspired that time of singlehood? And then really the things that you would say prepared you for calling in someone like Steph, who, which by the way, I haven't mentioned on the show yet. Steph's been on this show. So go back, Steph, and I'm gonna say his how about I let you say his last name? I don't even say it right the way he does. I can't speak. I can't get the Greek dialect, but uh-huh. his full name is, well, I think you have a His full name is Stephanos Sephandos. Yeah. Well, I would have said that too. And I was like, well, I can get away with saying it Sephandos, but it could be Sephandos or... We're so American. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So for those of you who like this conversation, if you want the... A counterpart here, then you can go back and listen to Steph's show too. That was like literally right as y'all were moving into your house. And now it's been like a whole Oh my gosh. He would, yeah. It'd be so different if you recorded him today. He's growing at like rocket ship rapes. He's yeah. just, I'm so proud of him. It's beautiful. Um, well, first of all, I'm every woman you mentioned. I was the 20 something figuring it out. I was heartbreak. I was post-divorce. So I can relate to everyone um, or most everyone. So yeah, I mentioned the fiance dumped me. And then I got married right after. So up until my divorce at 31, I was, I was a serial monogamer. So I went from college boyfriend, 19 years old, to post-college boyfriend, to second post-college boyfriend, to fiance, to husband. So I never dated. It was just like, I found one person after the next. Like my amount of time single from 19 to my divorce at 31 I counted it up was about maybe six months cumulatively. Right. So I didn't really have any experience and I got married when I was 27 around there, right in the Saturn return, which is not a great time to get married. And I was on my personal growth journey. I was still on antidepressants. So I was, I was just about to start grad school for my psychology degrees. Um, and when I met my ex-husband, like we were a great fit. He, you know, after my fiance broke up with me, I wrote everything I wanted in a man, like all the characteristics. And then he appeared and I was like, I'm an amazing manifester. Oh, yeah. This is my list, <laughs> tall, dark, and handsome, all the things. And I was, you know, happy. And I also was like, this is how this, I'm getting married before 30, which was a goal. And this is how it's supposed to be. But I remember on my wedding day, and first of all, my ex-husband is an incredible guy. Like, I have zero bad to say about him. It was more me and just us, the combo of us. Mm -hmm. So on my wedding day, I remember feeling like, Hmm, I'm not like a hundred percent excited, but that's normal. Everybody has cold feet on their wedding day, but I compare it to the way I felt on my wedding day to Steph. And I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that's how you're supposed to feel. I don't know if supposed to is the right word, but for me, that's how I wanted to feel. So it was, it was cool to have that contrast. But anyway, so back to that first marriage, what ended up happening is I got, I just grew a lot. I ended up getting off antidepressants. I completed my degree in psychology. I wrote other books. I was traveling and speaking more. I was really on my path and I made the mistake of coaching him. I made the mistake of, instead of being the best advertisement for personal development by embodying it and just living it and being that I would tell him all the things he needed to work on, which men love men love it. When you tell them all 
the things that they need to work on and all the things they need to go to counseling for. They just love that. They don't. So that was one big mistake. And the other big mistake is I hadn't really, I hadn't tapped into my femininity, my sexuality very much. So I was still very much in my head, very much still in that kind of controlling, judging ways. And our polarity was just off. Like we never really got that down. So it came to a point where I, I I was laying in bed one day reading at night and he walked across the room and I heard, and I don't hear voices in my head very often, but I heard like a voice say, you're not going to be married to him much longer. And I was like, who is that? That that never happened to me before. Mm -hmm. But I think something really, my intuition knew it really needed to get my attention. And so I agonized over it for a year. All my hair started to fall out. I didn't want to leave. I was so scared. I felt so bad. We tried to work on it. And eventually I just kind of decided to, to go and we separated, but then I got really scared when we separated and then I wanted him back and we tried it. He was too hurt at that time. And I think was sick of me telling him all the things he needed to work on. And he had his role too. Like, I'm not going to totally portray myself as a demon in the situation. We both had our parts, right? So anyway, we ended up getting divorced. I felt like such a failure. I felt so ashamed. I had written in my first book that my fiance dumped me and I met the love of my life and then divorced at 31. And that was when I decided that I was going to milk this divorce for all it's worth. And I don't mean like in court. I mean, that was the last time I wanted to get divorced. That was the last time I wanted to go that far in a relationship and realize it wasn't right. And I, I don't believe that in the success of a relationship it can be measured by its longevity. I think any relationship is successful as long as you learn from it and you get out when you know it's reached its expiration date. So I don't have any judgment on relationships that end or divorce or anything. I was just clear that I didn't want to go through another one. So I dove in even harder to looking at, you know, my wounds, my grief, my issues with men, things I hadn't forgiven, masculine, feminine polarity, my own sexuality. And I didn't date. I was celibate for almost two years after my divorce. Cause I just, well, I had one rebound just to like cleanse the palate, but, <laughs> but then I, by the way, the guy had the same first name and the same birthday as the ex-husband. So oh but was, was completely like a different personality. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I had that one rebound. And then I was like, that's it. I'm dating myself. I'm going to get to know me. I'm going to not, cause I recognized the pattern. I had a very codependent relationship with my mother. And I recognize the pattern of codependency in myself. Like I'm not okay unless I'm with someone. And it would have been easy for me to just go be with someone again, but I didn't want to just be with anybody. And I wanted to break this pattern. I really wanted to prove to myself that I could be happy and fulfilled on my own, that I could really care for myself, that I could build my career, that I could accomplish a lot of my dreams without the distraction because relationships could be distracting for me at times without the distraction of a guy. And so that was a very, very important two years. And then I started dating again. And remember, I had been in relationships since 19. So I didn't know apps. I didn't know the dating world. I didn't know the dating rules. I knew nothing. And so I was a real like kindergartner when it came to dating. And so dating was really hard for me. I got my heart broken so many times. Had one relationship in there with a narcissist. Everybody needs one of those just so you can know how awful it is. <laughs> um, and, you know, really felt a lot sexually liberated a lot, had a phase where it was all about like just exploring and being with different men and seeing what that felt like. And then I'm like, Oh, it actually doesn't feel that good because I'm kind of emotionally very open and I really need a connection. So I just, I just played, I just experimented. And then I was getting towards my late thirties and I was like, you know, okay, like TikTok, this is enough. I am sick of dating. I'm sick of Christmases alone. I'm sick of Sunday mornings by myself. I'm sick of the like, so how many siblings do you have? And like, what do you do for work? Boring day conversations, sick of emotionally unavailable guys. I'm sick of shitty sex. Like I just am ready for my person. Like I'm ready to share my life with someone. I was, my career was skyrocketing at the time. I was going to all these amazing places and doing these amazing things alone. I'm like, okay, I've had enough alone time. Like good, like alone time complete. (laughs) So I got really serious about calling in my guy and, you know, 
I'm not going to go into all of it. We actually have a whole course on this called Be the Queen, which we're opening again in November because I realized that like I needed a whole course to teach women how to do this because there's so much I had to unravel and there's so much I had to learn and there's so many things I had to do and so much dating advice I had to completely set on fire. I got so much bad dating advice, so much from dating coaches, from people that were paid, that I paid lots of money, just terrible. And so the, one of the key things, cause I definitely want to give some, some tips. So there were a couple key things for me. One, I got really, really clear about how I wanted to feel with a man, not his list, not his, he makes this much money. He's this tall. He looks like this. He's nice to animals. None of that stuff. <laughs> how, how I wanted to feel. And I wrote it out really descriptive in present tense and put it on my phone and listen to it daily because our own voice is very hypnotic. And I really got into the feeling and the embodiment of how I wanted to feel. And I, then I made some dating guidelines, not rules, but dating guidelines, not based on anybody else's, but on mine. Cause I would get resentful. I get resentful. If I did my hair and makeup, I go to some stupid coffee date. And in five seconds, I know this is not, I'm not interested in this guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was because I wasn't asking for what I needed. I was like letting guys text me, never to call me on the phone. And then I, you know, drive and meet them. Like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. One of my dating guidelines is we talk on the phone before I decide to meet you because I have enough of a spidey sense to know uh, with a phone call, if if this guy is worth me blow drying my hair or not. So I, that was like, just these little things made me feel empowered and less frustrated with dating. Cause I think a lot of women, especially after you've been single for a while and the more mature you get, you get really frustrated with dating. And what that does is it switches your energy off. It moves you out of your femininity. It moves you out of your receptivity. It moves you more into that controlling like behavior. And you also like stop giving men a chance because you get so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I noticed that I like be short with men if they weren't doing it right because I wasn't really asking for what I needed. So that was a really big thing too. And the other thing that was huge is I didn't compromise. Like if like one dating coach said, you need at least three days with someone before, you know, like, fuck that. No, I don't. I need three minutes. That is about all I need. Like that's, I trust myself. And so I stopped wasting time. And also if I was attracted to someone at a level nine, 10 or higher, Like if there was that crazy chemistry and like, I had that anxiety of like, has he texted me back? Has he texted me back? That kind of stuff. It was a no, because I knew that was one of my issues and patterns of those kind of emotionally unavailable, super charismatic, borderline narcissistic tendencies, but Oh, hot as hell. Like, and just like that drug of like, I have to have them. And so I stopped. I like as hard as that was, because it's so fun. Sometimes I stopped. It's like, no, no, no more of that. I'm going to like, I want to meet someone and the sex get better. Like if it's super hot in the beginning, that's usually a bad sign for me because I know where that's headed. <laughs> so I want, I want somewhere to go. So I, I, I was super discerning and, and I was really not rigid, but clear, really super clear. And then I lived my life as if he was already there. I talked to him. I wrote letters to him. I didn't pay attention to what was missing. I didn't pay attention to the lack. I'm like, well, he's alive. I'm not marrying an embryo. Like he's on the planet somewhere. Like he exists. So I'm going to start engaging with him, start talking to him. And I really do believe that all those things, especially the talking to him and and being in a relationship with him before we actually met energetically drew us closer because Steph lived in freaking Perth, Australia. I lived in San Diego. There was no way in hell we were ever going to meet. It, I, I know it was, it was a shift in him where he was in a meditation. He's like, I'm ready for my queen. And it was my, like that feminine discernment, that feminine, like channeling it and calling it in, you know, like really, really being discerning and really being really clear and really being in my longing. That was the other thing is that, and I tell this to women, I'm like, I don't want you to be in lack, but you, I want you to be in longing because when I was in my single phase and I was like, I'm okay without a partner. Like I'm happy on my own. That was bullshit. It wasn't really true. And I did want a 
partner. But I thought it was weak of me to own that. I thought I wasn't an empowered, independent, liberated woman if I wanted a partner. I'm like, well, no, it's both and. I am happy in my life. I love my life. I love myself. And I long for a partner. Because longing feels so much different than lack, you know, Mm -hmm. and sadness. And like, what's wrong with me that I don't have a partner? But that longing and allowing ourselves to have that desire is part of how we, it's part of the broadcast signal, mm-hmm. right? If I just turned that off and I was like, I'm fine. And if he shows up, he shows up. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. One, that wasn't true for me. And two, energetically, I'm turning off the signal. Mm-hmm. So I could go on and on, but those are just some of the things. Oh my goodness. And it's perfect. And I'm so, I'm sure that there's so many people who are listening to that, that are just like snapping you know, in their car or wherever, wherever they're like vacuuming or something. I don't know. I don't know what people do when they listen to the show. You vacuum yourself? I don't know. I mean, I, I do in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Or they're like, yeah, yes, yes. And yes. Um, and it's so brilliant. I mean, the fact that he was in Perth and you were in San Diego puts a little bit of my, I was in New Orleans and Jordan was in San Diego, well, in San Diego, yeah. San Diego area. Y- y'all beat us. That's definitely a, a further a d- further distance for you to do the call. Farther apart, like no. that's literally the opposite side of the world. I felt that too. I it was funny because the day that I the day before Jordan and I connected, um, I made a post. You know, I I wore my heart on my sleeve. If my sleeve was Facebook timeline, and I would just write about the things that were going on. A lot of a lot of the the buildup of my community was built off of me telling stories. But more often than not, I would tell stories of things that had happened in the past that I'd already processed and figured out what my breakthrough was. Mm-hmm. And so I could talk about it very vulnerably and then go, and then this is what I realized. And then this is where I am now. And this is what maybe I'm still working on. But I mm-hmm. had very rarely at the point when Jordan and I got together, I'd very, very rarely spoken about what was actually going in on in real time. Mm-hmm. And I had just gone through a really intense heartbreak that caught me off guard and by surprise and by a person that's like, okay, well, you know, this is what I'm open for. And I'm open for uh, distance and I'm open for great sex and I'm open for, I, you know, I'm just getting my feet wet. And, and I, I said all these things that I realized in hindsight were protection. I was trying to protect myself and protect my heart. And, um, and then this, this, uh, heartbreak just hit me totally off guard. And then I was like, Oh, you're not walking your talk here. Like there's some incongruency going on with like who you, who you believe you are inside versus your actions and your words and all these things. And so I got really clear. I started journaling and I started doing my whole process. I'm like, Oh, you could go back to your basics. We're going to be meditating on this. What is true for you? Do you really truly want this level of intimacy or are you really wanting something more, but you're saying this other thing and you're you're tricking yourself into believing that you want this other thing. So you're actually getting that other thing and then being, you know, heart ripped to pieces when it's not really what's what your heart and soul is calling for. And so, and then it was, you know, all this internal dialogue is like, you shouldn't be surprised, girl, you're powerful at this. (laughs) You're called in exactly what you said you wanted. And also at the time in the circles that I was running in, it was really cool to want to be open and have multiple partners and be polyamorous and all of these different things. And it was cool to be the sexually liberated woman and to go to the parties and have this like kind of get up and this identity. And I had this idea that if I decided I wanted something different than that, then I was a fraud and that everything that I just claimed to be, I was not being truthful. And so I sat down with my journal and said, fuck that. What's really underneath. And I wrote in my journal, all of the things that I was available for the way that I wanted to feel, yeah. because I don't know how many times I've been a face to face with a friend. That's like, I don't know. I think I'm just going to keep giving him a chance because you know, he's got the, this and the, that, and the, this and the, that, and it's ticking all these boxes. But I'm like, but girl, how do you feel? Yeah, exactly. You're so bored. Yeah. You hate everything about it. You know, all these, you know, these different things. And so I wrote about a lot of the, what do I feel and what do I want? And I think it was around that time that I even was starting to come to terms with, I think that my choice and not wanting to be a mother is based off of fear and not what's really true for me in this life. Mm -hmm. So I had like wave after wave after wave of like, oh shit, I have been lying to myself and maybe even a little bit of the world, but you know, so, so then I, I came to terms with that. And then I made a post on Facebook that was me saying it was basically like an open letter to right. my person and Jordan fucking saw it. I love this story. Jordan saw it. And I remember him in the comments. This was, you know, how you flirt. 
like five years ago, four and a half years ago is like, you just like, like things of the person for a minute. <laughs> and then you just like comment here and there. And then, that, and you know, and then it's just like, it develops from me. And then all of a sudden you get like a slide in the DMS kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was like, it was something like queen, queen babeski. Cause you know, he still calls me that he's like queen babeski shit right there. Like queen, you know, and he then, you know, like the next night I had a voice note in my Facebook messenger that was a rap, a really silly rap that I will probably play on our wedding day. So everyone can hear it. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. And, um, it was then that he was like, do you want to go on a FaceTime date basically? And two weeks later, he met me. He flew to New Orleans to meet me. And I try real hard. I will shout it from the rooftops, no matter who will listen, especially if I'm talking to women here, is that your person, the right person, you don't have to beg and grovel and play games. They are locked in on you. They are one. There is no way. Like Jordan had his sights set on me. And for me to go, I'm open to this. That was all that it took. There was nothing that could get in the way of him developing this relationship with me and him falling in love with me. He told his closest group of friends the day before he left for new Orleans, this he's he, and they have told me this after the fact too. He was like, I, it doesn't make any sense. I think I already love her. And we'd had maybe two conversations and he'd watched a couple of Facebook lives. I love it. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you know this next piece. So Jordan really, actually he commented on that post and he watched one Facebook live that we talk about pretty frequently. That Facebook live was for my previous podcast that I had right when I first started. I don't even think that you can access it anymore, but Steph was my guest. No way. Her husband was my guest and I was on Facebook live and Steph was my guest. And it was just post that blindside heartbreak that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I did an episode. I recorded an episode with Steph where we broke apart heartbreak and we talked about relationships and heartbreak and all this and the other. So the Facebook live that Jordan saw was me talking about the podcast episode and promoting the podcast episode that I did with Steph. That's a crazy small world. Amazing story. Right. And I, and I was just crying about it and talking about how grateful I was because this thing cracked me open. So I was sitting here avoiding this heartbreak and this thing and just tiptoeing when in reality, that heartbreak that I was so afraid of happening, that I created all these structures around me, not to make sure that it didn't happen. It happened, cracked me open. And then right underneath that, it was, what do you really want? And then right behind that, that clarity, what do you really want? There's my person. I love it. And it, I mean, so, so hearing your story, a lot of it, it resonates because like, that's a lot in my story too. Yeah. Well, and I just want to overemphasize what you said. And I tell, especially women, this women who, um, especially because my, my experience is drawing in a man, right? So I don't know what it's like to draw on a same sex partner because that's never been my experience, but I imagine it's, there's some similarities but for, for women who are calling in a guy or, or someone with that masculine energy, like if that's the polarity, if you really want masculine energy, they will pursue, they will show up. They will not be wishy-washy. I never, from the first moment, Steph reached out to me on Facebook messenger with a voice note. (laughs) I never doubted where I stood with him. Never, not once. I never had anxiety about whether I was going to hear from him. If he said he was going to call me, he did. And, but it, and it wasn't like, you, you know, those guys that are overzealous that you're just like, Oh my oh, God, leave stop. me alone. Yeah. It wasn't like that either. It was just like, I know what I want. I'm confident. I'm clear. And, and you're it. And like, you can feel that. And as a woman, it, for me, it let me feel safe. It let me really relax in that feminine energy and not have to do the dance of managing the pursuit. Right. Like of really being able to like receive and allow myself to be pursued. And that's such a fun polarity to be in. You know, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I try real hard. Like I said, to anyone and everyone who will listen, like your person, you're worth fighting for from the get-go. Absolutely. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Cause I, I communicate with people all the time. They're like, yeah, well, he says this. And then all of a sudden he's so amazing and all that. I'm like, there's something about that situation that you are really enjoying. Yes. Cause otherwise you, you know, you would realize that you want something different and then actually go for the thing that's different. 
So, yeah. and it, and it's hard, I think for a lot of people to, to hear that where it's like, Oh, by the way, you are responsible for your suffering right now. Yeah. Well, and this is where the inner child work comes in because if you had inconsistent parenting, if like some, your parents gave you love sometimes when you, you know, won the soccer game or did good in school or mom was sometimes approachable, but sometimes she was really depressed or dad was sometimes available, but sometimes you never knew where his temper was going to be. There will be a part of you that will be attracted to inconsistency, not because you really want it, but because it feels familiar. And because there's a part of you that's still looking for mom and dad's love. So you're going to attract people like that. So, which is all the more reason to handle your shit, to do your inner child work, to, to process your past so that you're really clear. So that when a healthy person shows up, you can recognize it. Cause a lot of times the inconsistency is like, Oh, this is great. This is just what I'm used to. But when you heal that, you'll be like, no, this is, this is not what I want. And that, that healthy behavior will be like, ah, this is it. My nervous system is out. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm turned on. Yeah. I'm leaning in, but I don't have the drug like craving. I don't have the, I have to have a feeling. I don't have the, I'm anxious until I get the text and then oh, my anxiety releases and the cycle repeats. You know, when anyone's in that, where they, they, they feel like I need to hear from the person or I need reassurance about where we stand, that's usually a sign yeah. that there's something off. And I've had some really hot experiences that are in that cycle that are the touch and go. So I'll just throw that out there too, that, you know, when I say you get really real and if you really want to call in your person that you're going to build foundation and build your life with, then there's some steps that you can take in order to call that in. And if you are looking for hot sex, that's all this, that, and the other, that that's just not necessarily your person, then get really real with yourself in that regard too. Exactly. And then lean into the thing that is really true and right for you. And so I thought that's what I wanted when a deeper, deeper, um, underneath was, I was protect, try attempting to protect myself from something that I really did desire. And so I put yeah. all these barricades up. Um, but there were other times where I, that was really true and in an alignment for me where right. I was playing, where I had a kind of nonchalant attitude, where I was yeah. really enjoying myself. I was expressing and exploring. I was giving lots of people, lots of different types of people, lots of different genders, just mm-hmm. a try on, you know, that mm-hmm. was a totally different um, experience then, you know, a little bit later when I was just continuing to try to protect myself. So I think that the message in there is what do you really truly want? And, and so I'm curious for you, Christine, maybe this will be some of the last like little tidbits we get into for the show. Cause I'm realizing like, there's so much more that I could talk to you about, <laughs> but, um, and maybe at some point in the future, I will be so lucky enough to get you and Steph on a show with oh, Jordan and I, like maybe I'll come over for dinner. We'll pull out the bikes and then we can, uh, then we can have a chit chat, but, um, is what can women or people in general, because I know even as I say women, you know, you can give some specifics to women, but I know that, that you can shift that and where, however you identify whatever your gender is, you can say you could, there's truth in whatever you're probably about to, um, answer this question with, but it's how can I figure out what I really truly want? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a simple question and a complicated question all in one. I think really the best way to figure out what we want is clearing out what's in the way. So it's really hard to have clarity when we haven't dealt with some of our biggest issues, our mother, father wound, you know, our adolescent wounding, any sexual wounding we've had, um, our relationship with a higher power, whatever that is our insecurities, how we identify, how we determine our self-worth, our addictive behaviors, our compensatory strategies. You know, for me, it was achieving for other people. It's people pleasing, you know, what are the ways I bob and weave to be validated, accepted, all those kinds of things. So to me, the more inner work we do, the more personal development we do, it's just like, you don't have to figure out what we want. It just becomes clear. It's like you get in the car Your car's been outside for two weeks. It's rained. It's dirt. There's leaves all over it. Can't see anything. But you put the windshield wipers on, you get all the crap out of the way and you can see more clearly. And so just like self-love isn't something we need to learn. It's something we need to remember. What we want is there. It's an IntelliKey that's inside of us. It just gets clouded by what we think we want or think we need or who we think we need to be or, you know, what mom and dad didn't fulfill that we're looking for, or what's trendy at the time or pressured into doing, we're so influenced by what's happened to us and what's happening around us that that's where we get confused. 
So my best advice for figuring out what you you want is just removing the stuff that's blocking you from being able to really tap into it because it's there. It's totally there. Everybody knows who they are and what they want. It's just the shit that's on the windshield that blocks it. Mm -hmm. Which can look like letting people go. Yeah. It can look like forgiving certain people. It can look, which is easier said than done. I just will throw that out there. It could look like you're moving physical location. Yep. It can look like changing your friends. It can look like a lot of different things. Going to school, leaving school, changing the job. Yeah. Like a lot of things. I mean, I can think of a a client of mine who finally admitted to herself. She's like, I really want to be with women. Like I've suppressed this for, I don't even know how long. I don't necessarily identify as gay, but I want to be with women. Like, and oh, it's just like liberation. Right. And that was again, always there, but because of conditioning and family and this and that, it's like she, she couldn't give her permission herself permission to own it. Like it, it was only available to her when she cleared out so much that was blocking it. You know, her relationship with her mother being a big one when she worked on that and had boundaries put in place and did forgiveness and went through her emotional work around it. It was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm no longer clouded by what my mom wants for me. I can actually see what I truly desire. Yeah. So good. All right. Last, last question. I promise. And this is a selfish one because you know, we're getting ready to get married. So, um, it's like, a the favorite thing that you, cause I was going to say, you know, any marriage advice since you're a few years yeah. ahead, but I, I think the question that I like even more, it's a little more, it's a little deeper is what's your favorite thing about you since mm-hmm. becoming a wife? you know, to, to your person, to Steph and, and which I imagine is completely different you know, of an experience compared to the first time you were trying that word on. So like, what is your favorite element to your most recent marriage unfolding? My favorite part is I am his first phone call when anything happens, mm-hmm. he has a question. He wants to, I'm going to get emotional. He wants to celebrate something he's thinking about something. He doesn't feel good. His mom pissed him off. Like if, if either, if I'm home, it's darling, where are you? Or it's a phone call. Like I love being the person that is his first instinct for anything, Mm. like to have a VIP seat to someone else's life to be able to, and I don't love it in like a weird codependent way. I love it in the sense that it feels like such intimacy to me like such deep intimacy and such deep partnership. And like, wow, like I'm your teammate. Like we are partners in this. And he doesn't come to me to make me fix it or make him feel better or whatever. It's like, he he's invited me in to share his life and that kind of intimacy and that kind of like really being able to witness someone else's life that closely. Cause it's really cool to go through our own, but to be able to watch another human being go through their life and their trials and tribulations and their successes and their challenges and their failures, like right by their side and have such an intimate view. I just, I just love that. And there's something about marriage for me. We were legally married before we had our ceremony in June and the legal thing didn't do much for me, but the ceremony, I'm, I love ceremonies. I'm a ceremony. Yeah. Love ceremony, love the ritual of it, love rites of passage and marriage is a rite of passage. And, And being surrounded, being in Greece where we met, he's Greek, and being surrounded by people we love and looking out on the ocean and exchanging our vows and being married by my best friend of 20 years, that shifted something for me. The ceremony of that is like, oh, I'm a wife. And it's not necessarily the word, it's the energy of that word of like, this is a deeper level of commitment that we're deciding to make and that we're committing to. And since we've had that ceremony and been married, I have felt more me than I ever have in my life. So safe, so me. I've never been with someone that I feel so me around. And I've discovered parts of me that were long forgotten and long pushed away because I'm finally with someone who one, encourages it, two, doesn't judge me, and three, gives me safety and permission to like be my fullest expression of self. So. I love that part. Oh my gosh. Taking notes. <laughs> what to look forward to. I think for oh, so many. So much. Yeah. I think for so many women, they, they hear that and it's a, uh, all the things I will lose. 
my youth, my maiden, my all, you know, it's, it's now moving into the next phase. I'm owned by someone. What does it mean in society? All of these things. And, um, I'm not going to be looked at as an individual anymore. Now I am in partnership or now I have this other person's last name. And, um, it's really beautiful to continue to be surrounded. And I, I would say, you know, this is definitely a direct reflection of some of the work that I've done to be surrounded by women who do not believe the -hmm. things that I am not willing to take on. Right. You know, moving into the future and to be surrounded by so many incredible examples of women who are like, this is one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me on an individual level. Yeah. And to really, truly mean that on so yeah. many, in so many ways. So, uh, thank you, Christine. Oh, um, thank you so much. I love being here. I'm so excited for your wedding. <laughs> uh, me too. If I could just get through it right now, I'm doing my very best not to dread um, all of the last little bits of like putting it together. Um, I have cried more times than I can count and looked at Jordan, like, why did we just not go to the courthouse? And he, um, consistently reminds me as he, as he will my whole life, that this work that we are putting in for this thing is going to be so well worth it in the long run. And it's going to be beyond, it's going to be beyond what we could have imagined to be able to share, um, our special day with so many people that we care about. And, you know, our festival themed wedding, it's sure to be very entertaining as well. So, (laughs) well, and what a metaphor like what a metaphor for your relationship, Yeah, you know, like all the work that you both have put in sure. It's tedious at time and sure it's hard at time, but it's so worth it. And it makes it so much more fun. So worth it. Yes. And for sure. Very fun. I don't know if you've met Jordan, but yes, life is very entertaining. Yes. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. So Christine, I will say this is uh, not goodbye, but I'll see you later because yeah. I'm sure that there are more topics we can dig, dig into into the future. And like I mentioned, I would love to have you and Steph on the show to talk about, I don't know, yeah. some other more specific things that uh, we are all, we, Jordan and I, you people on the planet, humans are sure to navigate mm-hmm. in relationships. So I love you and to be continued. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.